0: You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Ola tribe, it's so great to see all of you guys here, and it's so great to see everyone who's joining us digitally on Facebook Live. I see Lydia and Jace and Raisa and Brianna and Gloria. Thank you guys for joining us. I'll be keeping up with your comments here live. Oh, Zach, hello to you too. We love you just the same. Now, as mentioned, my name is Lee, and we are in part eight of a journey through a letter that was collected in our Bibles written in the late first century that we refer to as Revelation, And we have been in the portion of this letter, in this revelation, in which God himself, Jesus, he communicated seven different messages to seven prominent communities of his followers in the first century concerning their conduct. And the message that we're going to explore today is the seventh of the seven. And so today sort of culminates this portion of our series. And it was written to Jesus's followers in Laodicea. And, as we unpack it here 's what 's critical for you and for me. It is critical that we are all mindful of our own biases and that we 're all mindful of our own perspectives and here 's why see our experiences with our parents, or perhaps our sports coaches in school or a screaming drill sergeant or maybe our emotionally unhealthy boss, all of that can color for us what we think and what we Uh, imagine whenever we see and hear words like correction or rebuke or discipline. And so what might come to mind for us when we hear or see those words is traumatic experiences when we were scarred with scathing words, or perhaps even for some of you, unfortunately, you're reminded of the time that you were physically struck in order to be taught a lesson. And so when we read Jesus's message to the Laodiceans, it's easy to project onto Jesus's words what we think about rebukes and corrections and discipline. You see, in his message, Jesus used some seemingly harsh and seemingly critical rhetoric. For example, he said to them, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Seems a little harsh, Right? And then shortly thereafter, he goes on to say, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. And so for preachers like me, there is this tendency and there is this temptation to uh, see how Jesus addressed his followers in Laodicea and want to model or mimic what he supposedly modeled. Right? There is a, a temptation for us to say, well, if Jesus laid into his followers, well, then I have the license then to lay into you guys. And this might come as a disappointment to some who want a in-your-face kind of Jesus, but instead of thinking of Jesus's tone as an angry coach, like a Coach Popovich or an angry boss or something like that, we should instead think of Jesus's tone as a tone that maybe like Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch or uh, Danny Tanner from Full House would have had. And here's what I mean. So the phrase, as many as I love. In the original language that it was written in, in the Greek language, it paints this picture of a father that's affectionately kissing his child. Like for me, what comes to mind is just the love and the affection that I have for my daughter. I am constantly kissing her. And it also paints this picture of a mother that's like tenderly nursing a baby. And it also paints a picture of a friend that reaches out to gently comfort or encourage another. Those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, for example, when Jesus, he encouraged Peter after he was downtrodden and after he had failed, it paints that picture of that kind of love. And so really the tone of Jesus's message to the folks in Laodicea, it actually seems to communicate that Jesus was somewhat affirming what he knew that they and what you and I are capable of almost as if to say, y'all, look, I see so much more in you. And so I want so much more for you and so much more from you. And so what I'm doing is I am just exposing in you and I am bringing to light a blind spot that you have so that you might live up to your utmost potential. Now, to be clear, Jesus wasn't being harsh. And he wasn't being critical in the traumatic way that many of us may have experienced or that we might imagine. In fact, Jesus even went on to communicate his desire for his followers in Laodicea and for you and for me that we would never thirst and that we would never hunger. And he communicated that his desire is that we would all address whatever that blind spot is so that we could share with him in his inheritance and that we would one day not only partake in a heavenly banquet, but that we would be the object of his celebration. Jesus expressed his desire for us to enjoy that banquet and to be a part of that celebration in this way. He said, I will eat with him and he will eat with me, the one who addresses that blind spot. And so as we explore today's message, I want you to keep this in mind, okay? Jesus had a fondness for his followers in Laodicea and he's fond of you. He affectionately adored them, and he affectionately adores you. Y'all, Jesus loves you. Let's just make sure that is the filter through which we're listening to this message. He wouldn't have been wagging his finger, and he wouldn't have been all red-faced and his veins bulging out of his neck as he was communicating it. He wants to bring to our attention a potential blind spot that's keeping us from experiencing the life he intends for us. And so, what we're going to do today is we're going to explore what that blind spot was for the folks in Laodicea, and so that we are able to avoid it ourselves. But as always, before we jump into today's teaching, would you all join me in inviting God by His Spirit to speak to us? Heavenly Father, as we always do when we gather together, especially, we just ask that um, by your Spirit you would calm us, center us, drown out any distractions we may have come in here with, that we might be attentive to your activity and to what it is you want to teach us. So speak to us, Lord, we're listening for you. And as for me, Lord, use me as a vessel. I'm merely an instrument. May the words that come out of my mouth glorify you and accurately represent you and represent the love that you have for everyone listening. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what was that blind spot that Jesus' followers in Laodicea that they had? And what did he want you and what did he want me to learn from them that we might never thirst, that we might never hunger, but that we would actually enjoy a celebration with Jesus? Well, to answer those questions, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to consider what you think whenever you see or hear the word, that very popular phrase right now, hashtag blessed. Or what do you think about whenever you hear somebody say, man, I am just living this blessed life? And maybe what comes to mind for you are perhaps celebrities or maybe social media influencers who are seemingly living these really extravagant lifestyles. And the reason I want you to consider what you think about when you hear blessed or hashtag blessed or something like that is because for their day and age, Jesus's followers in Laodicea, they had a life that was unlike any of the other communities that we've explored thus far in this series. You see, Laodicea, it was a first century metropolis that's in now modern day Densley, Turkey. And similar to how in our world today, New York City is like a hub for international travelers. And uh, in the ancient world, anyone who was traveling anywhere important, well, they had to pass through this city, Laodicea. And so much like how New York is this center for business and it's a center for banking, Laodicea, it was also like a world trade center where people would come and they would exchange various currencies and they would engage in commerce. And because of its robust tourism economy, many Laodiceans, they had big money in their bank accounts. And then like, you know, in our world today, many people who are really into fashion, they'll travel to Paris or they'll travel to Milan for fashion week, something like that. Well, folks would travel to Laodicea specifically in order to get this highly sought after product that was unique to only that region. It was a black product wool. And so unlike all the grayish and the off-white wool that was common to the rest of the world, the Laodicean black wool, it was like couture. And so it was a symbol of luxury. And so some Laodiceans, they prided themselves on what they adorned their bodies with, and they prided themselves on beauty. And in fact, you know, we believe that uh, biblical archaeologists have rendered uh, an image of what this luxurious black wool tunic looked like. And so you can see why people wanted this so badly. Now, on top of all of that, Laodicea, it was home to a medical school that developed a sort of first century clear eyes. Y'all remember that commercial? That clear eyes solution, it was a concoction that relieved people's eye irritations. It helped them see better. And so the city had become renowned for all of its advancements in medicine and for having the best and the brightest brains that citizens were considered brilliant. And so because of all of this, success in business and big money in their bank accounts and outward beauty and what they adorned their bodies with possessions and brilliant achievements, Jesus's followers in Laodicea, they believed that they were experiencing their best possible life. And so some of Jesus's followers, they had this attitude like, well, what more could we ask for? You know, we've got plenty of resources. We've got couture clothing. We've attained amazing achievements. Y'all, we are hashtag blessed. And so how they had this attitude toward their wealth, it's recorded this way in the scriptures. They said, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I need nothing. And come on. I mean, who among us wouldn't want to attain to a level of wealth and a level of success and a level of power and self-sufficiency that the Laodiceans had? I mean, isn't that what we all work for anyway? Why we put away in our 401ks and why we try to have an inheritance for our children and our grandchildren? I mean, I absolutely would love a little bit more money in my bank account. And I would love to shore up all sorts of resources to be able to build a successful portfolio that I can pass on to my kiddos, my descendants. And I, of course, I want to look presentable, right? I don't want to be all frumpy. And it does, in fact, feel good to achieve something that I've worked hard for. And so admittedly to me, the Laodicean followers, their lives, they actually appear to be incredibly appealing. And I totally understand why they believe they were living their best possible life, why they felt they were hashtag blessed. And it's to this belief and it's to this attitude that they needed nothing, that they had everything that they needed, that Jesus directed his message to the Laodiceans. And how Jesus began his message to them, it suggests that they had been completely misinformed or they were completely uninformed. And he had a desire to raise their awareness so that they would be able to live up to their highest potential. He wanted to raise their awareness about what they actually needed and what they really didn't. They had a blind spot. And so what exactly was this blind spot? Well, to raise their awareness... As to what that blind spot in their thinking and their attitude was, Jesus, he identified himself in a way that alluded to a promise that had been recorded in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. And that promise that communicated that the earth as we know it, it is going to one day pass away. And so technically, Jesus identifying himself in this way, he was saying that no one will need any of what they had attained and any of what they had acquired anyway. Anyway. And so this promise, it implied that blessings will actually only come from ever being in the presence of God. True blessings are associated with God's presence. The Jewish prophet Isaiah recorded that promise this way. Whoever asks for a blessing will ask for a blessing in the presence of God by the God of, check this, the God of truth or the God who, when he declares something, What he declares happens in the exact way that he declared it, the so be it God, or as it's stated in Isaiah, the God of amen. The God you can most assuredly trust to to do exactly what he said. And he went on to say, for I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And so alluding to this promise, one, that he's the God of the amen, that whatever he says is going to happen exactly as he says it, and that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, Jesus was essentially saying to the Laodiceans and to you and to me, y'all, you think that you need nothing because of your great wealth. But because of what I am going to do, as I have declared it, it's going to happen, as I have said it, you actually don't even need any of what currently comprises of your wealth. Because I'm going to establish a new heaven and a new earth, you actually don't need any of what you're considering wealth. It's all going to pass away. It's going to be forgotten. And so Jesus, he communicated their blind spot as to just how invaluable their material matters were. He said, thus says the God of truth, the God who declares what's gonna happen and it happens exactly as it's going to, the so be it God, thus says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's, Creation, the firstborn of God's new creation. And so let me ask you this. Is it possible that like the Laodiceans, that you've not considered that Jesus, whose resurrection proved that his word can in fact be trusted, have you considered or not considered that he's preparing a new world and the world as we know it is going to pass away? And everything in it really is going to get burned up. Is it possible that you've not considered that our material wealth, that our bodies, all of our achievements, they have no real eternal value. And in the grand scheme of things, we don't actually need them. Well, Jesus then raised their awareness to the dangers of not realizing their blind spot, of not realizing that this world is going to pass away, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that will be established. And to raise their awareness, Jesus, he made a reference to the one feature in the city Laodicea that it lacked. And because the city lacked this particular feature, its citizens They suffered. And whenever there were visitors that came into the city, they complained about it. So it was kind of like a shameful uh, thing to lack in their city, it was a sore subject. You see, the neighboring city, Hierapolis, it had a close to boiling but still bearable hot springs where folks would come and they would get into these hot springs, kind of like when we would get into a spa and it would be soothing and it would be rejuvenating and it would be revitalizing. And then its other neighbor, Colossi, it had for itself this feature. It had mountains with snow melted cold water. And you know, in those days, there weren't refrigerators or freezers, so there wasn't ice cubes. And so, to get a refreshing beverage, it came directly from the mountain that had melted the snow. And yet, despite all of Laodicea's offerings, the city did not have for itself a source of pure and potable water, which in ancient times was referred to as living water. Waters, And because it didn't have like a hot spring or it didn't have snowy mountains, uh, a source for living waters, well, the city thus had to irrigate water from its neighbors, Hierapolis and Colossae. And since the water had been transported several miles from the original source via stone pipes, well, by the time the water had arrived at Laodicea, it had become lukewarm and it had all sorts of particles in it. And they didn't have the treatment measures that we have today to purify the water. So when people would drink it, they would have the particles and sometimes they would have like the little bacteria and people would get sick. And so the best thing they could do was just, they would just spit it out. They would vomit out the lukewarm water. It wasn't enjoyable. And so alluding to these consequences of not having proximity to a source of living water physically, Jesus essentially said to his followers, he said, look, in the same way that your city doesn't have a close proximity to a living water source and you're not able to drink hot water, you're not able to enjoy cold water, well, your lives, they lack a proximity to the true source that will give you true blessings, Don't catch my drift. Jesus brought awareness to what the Laodiceans lacked. This way, he said, "You are neither cold nor hot." Oh, I wish, I wish you had close proximity to a source of living water that you were cold or hot. And so, because you don't have this close proximity to that source of living water, well, your lives you're lukewarm, and. You're neither cold nor hot and I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. You're not having these refreshing lives, these revitalizing lives. And so according to what Jesus communicated to the Laodiceans, what you and what I actually need to experience, the life that we all want, this life of blessing our best possible life is a close proximity to the source of living water. What you and I actually need It isn't so much what's in the bank account. It isn't so much what we adorn our bodies with. It isn't so much what we achieve and attain. What we need, according to Jesus, is close proximity to the source of living water. And if we depend on money in the bank, if we depend on beauty and how our bodies look, how we adorn them, if we depend on our achievements to give us the life that we want. Well, it's kind of like depending on water that's been sourced from stony pipes to refresh you. It will not meet your needs. It will not rejuvenate. It will not revitalize you. And so to further emphasize his point about how their blind spot, about how there's going to be a new heaven and how there's going to be a new earth and how material matters on this earth, essentially, really, we don't need them. Jesus then repeated himself. In an utmost concerned way for their well-being, Jesus communicated, y'all, you aren't even close to experiencing the life that I intended for you. You can't yet see just how little material matters are able to meet your needs. He said it this way. He said, you don't realize that you're wretched and you're pitiful and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. Your needs have not been met, though you think they have, by those material matters. And so, what did Jesus want the Laodiceans and what did he want you and me to do instead? And so based on his declaration that blessings come from being in the presence of God and based on his declaration that He is the God of the amen, the God whose word can be trusted that it's gonna happen exactly as he declared that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, that this earth is going to pass away. He encouraged his followers to strongly consider drawing close to the living water source, the true living water. And in typical Jesus fashion, He did what he always does when he wants to make a point. So three times in three different ways, Jesus stated the exact same idea that we are to pursue proximity to his Holy Spirit. Three times in three different ways, Jesus stated the exact same idea that we are to pursue proximity with his Holy Spirit. The chief pursuit in our life needs to be intimacy with Jesus. So as if to say, y'all, let me supply you with a possession that is so pure and so invaluable that you will forever have a power and you'll forever have a peace and you'll have a promise about your future that no money can buy. Jesus went on to say, I advise you to let me supply you with my spirit to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you may be rich. And he went on to say, let my spirit be the couture that you clothe yourself with so that people see true beauty, my beauty, attractiveness. He said it this way and buy from me or let me supply you with my spirit that is white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not exposed. And then a third time, Jesus repeated that idea to drill it home into his Laodicean followers as if to say, let my spirit be your source of wisdom and knowledge and be my source of awareness of my activity in the world so that you can have real sight, Jesus said, and buy from me. Let me supply you with my spirit an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. And so Jesus, he urged the Laodiceans to recognize that their primary need is to pursue proximity to Jesus, the spirit. Your primary need, my primary need, a need that is eternal. It will not burn away with this world. It will move with us into the new heaven and the new earth is that we are to pursue intimacy, proximity with the true source of living water. Jesus spirit. And so some of y'all might be wondering, well, Lee, practically, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do I pursue proximity to Jesus' spirit? I mean, how do I buy gold and clothes and ointment from Jesus? Well, what Jesus soon after said, he used some imagery that he's knocking on the door and it answers for you and for me what it looks like to buy from Jesus gold and garments and ointment and this imagery that Jesus used, that's typically communicated uh, and explained by artist William Holman Hunt's painting that's titled The Light of the World. And so this painting, what it illustrates is that Jesus is preparing to knock on an unopened door. He's outside of the door. And this door on the outside, it has no handle. And so the artist's idea is that the person on the inside, you and me, that we are responsible to let Jesus into our hearts and into our minds. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that idea, when Jesus used that imagery, uh, it wasn't to be metaphorical about letting him into our hearts and into our minds. He was trying to communicate something completely different. And actually what Jesus meant by this imagery of him knocking on a door, it's best understood in the context of What he repeated all throughout his message in Revelation. So for example, these are just a couple of the times that Jesus said this stuff. Several times Jesus communicated in Revelation, the time is near. And he went on to say, he is coming with the clouds and be alert, I will come like a thief. You won't be able to expect it. And he went on to say, I'm coming. And then again, he said, look, I'm coming soon. And then another time Jesus said, look, I am coming soon. Those are only six instances. And it's almost like Jesus was trying to make a point to us, right? He's trying to tell us something. He's going to return. He is the God of the amen who declares something and it happens just as he declared and he declared that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. And then this imagery of knocking on the door, it eludes, it's best explained by what Jesus himself taught 60 years prior in the mid 30s AD. And so Jesus, as he was teaching his disciples exactly as they were, uh, how they were to live that they were to live as if any moment Jesus was going to return and establish his kingdom. So Jesus said this to them. He said, be ready. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. He continued, he said, you are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he, here it is, the imagery right here, when he comes and knocks, you are so prepared, you are so alert, you are so ready for him that they can open the door for him at once. And so Jesus's imagery of him knocking on a door is about us being prepared. It's about us being ready. It's about us being on guard anxiously and enthusiastically anticipating his return. And so referencing this teaching that we just looked at right now and then reinforced by his repeated message all throughout Revelation that the time for his return is near. Jesus then said to the Laodiceans and he says to you and to me, look look y'all, my return is so imminent that you guys need to be waiting on my arrival as if it's any moment he said it this way. See, I stand at the door and knock. It's like I'm already here. And so here's my point with all of this. Let's go back to the question where we started with this section. What does it mean to buy gold from Jesus, to buy clothes and ointment, to allow him to be the source of our life? Well, it means that we have to live eagerly awaiting his return. It means that the chief pursuit of our lives is proximity and intimacy with his spirit as if he's already returned, as if he's knocking on the door and we're opening it up and saying, man, you're finally here. We have to have a constant consciousness, a continued conversation, an ongoing curiosity about who Jesus is and what is to come. And we must not be distracted by attaining or acquiring anything material, because it's going to pass away. It's not going to go with us into eternity. And so you might be wondering all right, well, all right, understood, but like, how practically does this help me experience this life to the full that Jesus is supposedly offering? Like, how does living, as if Jesus' return is imminent, as if he's knocking on the door, how does that meet any of my needs? Well, I want to show you what allowing Jesus' spirit to meet your needs actually does. D O E D. Ask yes, what it does for you. All right, so when we live as if Jesus's return is imminent at any moment and we are on high alert and so we're studying the scriptures and we're spending time daily in prayer, listening for what our father wants to reveal to us, what actually happens by Jesus's design is we get a release of the neurochemical dopamine, which is responsible for our sense of satisfaction. It's responsible for the sense of fulfillment that we experience. And then if we continue to live our lives as if Jesus' return is imminent, as if he is knocking on the door, that he is basically here, and so we care for others as he commanded, and we give generously, we provide for the poor, and then we engage other people in tribes, right? We are in community with others. By Jesus' design, there is a release of the neurochemical oxytocin, which gives us this sense of security. It gives us a sense of belonging. And then... If we continue to live as if Jesus' return is imminent and we allow him to supply for our needs and so we express our devotion to God through singing like you guys just did a few moments ago and maybe we practice gratitude, we praise God and we teach other people about Jesus, by his design, you are going to experience a release of endorphins, which actually replace pain with feelings of pleasure. And then, as if we continue to live That Jesus is knocking on the door. His return is imminent. There's this constant consciousness and ongoing conversation with Jesus, uh, ongoing curiosity. And so we remember his love and his affection and his adoration for us. And we recall his guarantee that we are going to experience eternal life when we place our faith in him. And then we reflect on the rewards that we're going to receive by his design. There is a release of serotonin, which is responsible for the sense of pride and the sense of confidence that we all have. And so dopamine, D, oxytocin, O, endorphins, E, serotonin, S, D-O-E-S, does. This is what Jesus's design does. And together, these neurochemicals, they produce in us this sustained sense of passion and a sustained sense of peace and promise about our futures. We have a sense of hope where we want to continue to live. And it's these feelings that we're seeking from money in the bank and what we adorn on our bodies and possessions in our households and all the brilliant achievements. And so together they reinforce in us behaviors that increase others' trust in us, that builds our influence, right? And people want to be around us. It strengthens our relationships, our intimacy in our marriage and the wisdom that our children view us as having. It boosts our confidence, so we're less likely to be anxious and depressed. We become more resilient to suffering. We can endure a little bit more. We improve our overall mental and emotional and physical health. It extends the length of our life and the overall quality of our life is improved. Now tell me, what other object or activity can promise this sort of sustained sense of life to the full? Nothing else does but surrendering to Jesus' spirit, living as if his return is imminent, having a constant consciousness of the new heaven and the new earth, a continued conversation with our heavenly father an ongoing curiosity about who Jesus is. That is what it does, D-O-E-S. And some of our city youth students and volunteers, they can attest to what this pursuit of proximity with Jesus' spirit actually does. And so, all right, y'all know those scenes in movies when there's a character who like steps outside or maybe they enter into a room and then they can just sense like something in the air is different, right? They have this heightened sense that they can't tell, but something is about to go down. Well, I had one of those moments recently. Recently at a city youth gathering this summer, I watched our student band lead their fellow students in singing worship songs as they do on most Wednesday nights. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but the energy and the emotion in the room that night was different. Something I knew was about to go down. And so as they were leading worship our students they led and they sang with a whole other level of confidence and a whole other level of conviction and I dare say they led with a whole other level of command. They weren't just singing songs but they were declaring their devotion to Jesus they were pursuing proximity to his spirit. And then I noticed one of the vocalists, a typically reserved Chrissy. As if she had this like energy that was pulsing through her veins that she just couldn't contain. She started to like shake her hands. I hadn't seen her do that before in all the times that she's led and then she started to like bounce up and down and then being overcome with emotion, she started to like step away from the mic and had to gather herself and then she was missing lyrics and then she was missing notes, which she rarely ever does. And so watching from the balcony, I took a step back and I was like, Father, am I seeing Chrissy experience a filling of your Holy Spirit And, you know, to kind of get some confirmation, affirmation, I ran down the stairs and I sought out her mom just to see if she was seeing and feeling what I was seeing and feeling. And sure enough, she was, she had her husband on the phone, like showing him FaceTime, like look what's going down. Something's happening. And then shortly after worship, I sought out Chrissy and I asked her what happened up there. And she excitedly said, I don't know. And then I asked her, well, how would you describe what you felt? And she said, ah, just, ah, that's the only way I can describe it. And then I learned that she was not the only student to have experienced such an emotion, such an energy backstage. One of our student drummers, Isaias, he was also overcome with an emotion. He was weeping tears of joy. And I'm sorry if that embarrasses you, bro. But check this. After the city youth gathering was officially over and the students had been dismissed to their parents, over 30 people remained behind to debrief what they saw and what they felt among the students that night. I wasn't the only one who had seen and who had felt it. Something miraculous happened that night. And y'all, for me, having been in ministry now like a decade, it energized me in a way that I've not been energized before. It was infectious. It was contagious. And what Chrissy and Isaias and the other students experienced that night in a Allowing Jesus to be their supplier, to meet their needs. What they got was the pouring out of what he does. The dopamine, the oxytocin, the endorphins, and the serotonin. They experienced a taste of what Jesus' spirit does when we live anticipating his return. That no other object or activity can sustainably offer us. And what the students at City Youth and the volunteers all experienced is why Jesus affectionately, it's why he gently raised the Laodiceans' awareness that the proximity and intimacy was lacking. And so he wanted them to turn it up. It's what they truly needed. It's the only thing that is truly eternal. And this is why he said, as many as I love, I rebuke. And I discipline, I expose to you the blind spot that you have. I bring to light an area of lack. I love you. I have an affection for you, an adoration for you. I created you. I know what you need. I want you to attain to your highest possible level, experience life to the full, a life of purpose and passion and peace and power and promise about the future. He wanted them to experience what his spirit does. He wants you and he wants me. He wants our tribe to experience just the same. And so here's what I'm asking you guys to do. I'm asking you guys to do exactly what Jesus advised the Laodiceans and you and me to do. I'm asking you to daily allow Jesus to supply your needs, to buy from him gold, to buy from him garments, to buy from him ointment let his spirit adorn you i'm asking you to daily surrender to his spirit live as if he's knocking on the door that his return is imminent so every morning when you wake up here's what i'm encouraging you to do perhaps you just start the day saying father i surrender to your spirit i want to pursue proximity i want to pursue intimacy i want to know you more So have your way in me, you be my source, you provide for my needs. And so I want us to practice that right now because I want you guys to experience the life that Jesus intends for you. I want us as a tribe to be a tribe that is led by his spirit. And so here's how we're gonna practice no matter where you're watching or listening, when you're watching or listening, however you feel comfortable, I want you to create some mental and emotional space for you to be able to connect with Jesus' spirit. And so some of you might feel comfortable putting your hands out as if you're receiving a gift. Others of you might want to stand and put your arms up as if you're saying, father, carry me. Others of you might just stay seated with your face in your palms, or you might come to the foot of the stage and get on your knees and sprawl out. But however you feel comfortable right now, I just want you to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to supply you what you need to let him do what he does and let the words of this song be your declaration. Father, I surrender.
1: to me now.
2: church in Laodicea thus says the Amen the faithful and true witness the originator of God's creation I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot I wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth for you say I'm rich I have become wealthy and need nothing and you don't realize that you are wretched pitiful poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 14 through 22.
1: to know
0: you more. You got a place in your faith journey where you're willing to make that declaration that you surrender and you want to daily surrender and you want Jesus to be the source of all of your needs and all of your wealth and together with one voice and you guys joining us digitally, I want you to say it out loud too, or maybe put it in the chat on the count of three. We're gonna say together collectively, one voice, one tribe, I surrender. So here we go. If you're at that place in your faith journey on the count of three, I surrender. One, two, three, I surrender. And so Lord, that is our declaration. That is our confession. That is our desire is that we would be a tribe that is surrendered to your spirit. We recognize that there is a blind spot in our world today that tells us we need everything else, but you tell us you're the only thing we need. So Lord, help us become a people where intimacy and proximity with your spirit is enough. May we be a people that trust that by your design we're going to understand what your spirit does for us. So have your way in us. We want to know you more. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. amen. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, we know that the object of our devotion, the object of our affection is our heavenly father. However, We do have an amazing servant here that deserves our honor. So can we give a big round of applause to Ryan Proudfoot for serving us so well today? So thank you, brother. We appreciate you guys here. And this concludes this portion of our journey through the messages the seven messages that Jesus communicated to the seven communities. And so uh, we're gonna take a brief pause and a brief break from our series in our study through Revelation next weekend. So make sure you're back, tune back in next weekend. We have a special guest to be with us. And uh, as you guys go, let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, may you remember that until Jesus is enough, nothing else will be. And may you remember that Jesus wants to supply our needs. He wants us to buy from him everything. So may you live by the power of his indwelling spirit and so you can experience what his spirit does. God bless you guys. We'll see you next
1: week.
2: We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.